0: What was hardest about making that pivot at that point was that what I was about to do had no name. What I was about to embark on had no tangible outcome, because at that time, I didn't even think this was going to be a co-working space. We were like just launching at ourselves at solving loneliness. Like, what kind of business do you build upon that?
1: Welcome to Ecosystems for Change. In this show, you'll meet systemic thinkers and doers who work tirelessly to transform their communities by building thriving ecosystems for entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Anna Cahorn. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're headed to Quito, Ecuador to sit down with Michelle Arevalo Carpenter. When season one took shape, I knew I had to have Michelle on the show, so it's only suitable that she's closing out the conversation series of this pilot season. In our conversation, Michelle talks about how she left her career and professional identity as a human rights lawyer in Geneva, Switzerland, to return to Latin America. About eight years ago, Michelle set out to fight loneliness for changemakers in Ecuador and ended up building the country's first co-working space for impact entrepreneurs together with her co-founder, Daniela Pedalvo. Since then, Impacto has become Ecuador's first certified B Corp expanded to five locations and has grown into much more than just a co-working space. Today, Impacto works regionally in 17 countries through their consulting services. Michelle and her team also provide entrepreneurial education and are building their first impact investment fund. I am so excited for you all to meet Michelle and learn about her holistic approach to building an entrepreneurial ecosystem in Latin America. Enough talk. Off we go to Quito, Ecuador. Michelle, I am so excited you're here with me today. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. It's been a while. Um, for, For me, who has never been to Quito in Ecuador, and I think so many of our listeners, if I were to come to your ecosystem for a day, where would you take me?
0: so I would drive you straight from the airport to Impacto Floresta it's one of our co-working spaces and it's a very dear one to me because of, of its history um, so it, it started out as, as a coffee roasting factory so it has all these industrial machinery and look and it has this rusty feeling to it it was then later turned into a jazz club that was for you know throughout the 80s and 90s this epicenter for everything that has to do with with um, culture and, and arts and, and music and then we gave it a third life once that place was shut down and the, business, the building was abandoned. We decided to bring in this third generation of changemakers that would get together and co-create and, 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 and be together. So as you walk in, you would you basically like are splashed with all, like this incredible palette of colors. Everywhere it's just like every wall is a different color, and then you see people giving each other high fives, and then you peek into maybe one of the uh, our meeting areas. It's all made out of glass, so it, it's it's almost like peeking into a fishbowl and seeing all this collaboration and electricity coming through. You would probably see a lot of local art ha- hanging on all the walls, and uh, oh, and yes, you would you will actually also get to see this beautiful installment. We decided to get um, for the there's this. 10 offices at the very end of the space. Each one of them has an original mural painted by a female urban artist. So we actually are the hosts of uh, the only female urban artists gallery in in the country because uh, it's it's just so hard for for women in the uh, urban art uh, scene to to you know to paint at night and to paint big walls and and to find the respect they deserve in that really rough culture. So we, we gave them the space and and you would see this beautiful art full of women and power and moons and and like and you know and sorority so 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 we are kind of like uh, hugged by that womb of beautiful uh, female art in in that space. That's what you would see. That's amazing. Michelle, I know that
1: in this whole life before you even started Impacto, you were a lawyer, you ran a legal clinic for refugees, you did advocacy work at the United Nations, and then you started this fantastic private co-working space. It sounds like you're always out and about advocating for everybody else. You've been such a strong mm-hmm. voice, especially when COVID-19 hit and social entrepreneurs in Latin America needed resources and guidance. You are always out front. But what I didn't know is that you are not actually an extrovert. Yes. <laughs> how, do you, how do you do all this work that is so public facing, surrounded by so many people as an introvert? How does that work? Oh. I think that it,
0: that I've always been an introvert, but now I am more like you know what they call like an ambivert. You know, like I, I can I can go f- from from being very uh, fueled by others' energy to to being fueled by by just being alone. Um, and I think I just have to manage my <laughs> my energy proactively. If I feel overwhelmed with a lot of people, I just need to go into a quiet room and and sit it out and 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 think through things. I think that uh, that extroversion usually gets gets a lot of good rep uh, among people who do advocacy. But actually, you, you know, you, to do very good, effective advocacy for whoever you're working uh, on behalf of, whoever you're working, you really require that quiet time to think through your strategy, to think through what is most effective, and most of all, most important of all, to think through. To have the humility to understand when is it that that maybe your actions are driven by your ego or whether your actions are driven by really what the community wants and needs. So I think introverts have have it good (laughs) in terms of advocating for others. I love that. Thank you. Mm, Thank you.
1: Michelle, you've been such an incredible servant leader throughout your whole career, which has obviously changed direction a little bit, but it's always been in service of the greater good. Can you tell me about the moment that you realized that you can't keep doing things on your own, but you actually have to take a systems view and look at your community, not just through the lens of impact or or whatever endeavor you were pursuing at the time, but actually as an ecosystem. What was that moment where you flipped that switch?
0: Hmm, That's interesting. I think I always believed in collaboration throughout my first career where, where when I was a human rights lawyer and i worked with with refugees so so collaboration was already kind of like in you know in my veins, but I think that that moment of 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 really deep commitment to to working ecosystemically uh, actually came from from a really big fall i had so so it was back about eight years ago I had already turned thirty and I was living in Geneva as a human rights lawyer, working with refugee rights, you know, heading the global operations of an international organization. So I was pretty much made career-wise, and and I decided um, to move out of Switzerland back to Ecuador, which is my home country, and, and to start... Um, a social business. So I had this idea that I wanted to kind of like, just take a step back from being in this nonprofit world, give, give a hand at this, you know, for-profit world, you know, how hard can it be type of thing. So, so I left everything, sold everything, you know, decided to move back with my husband. And, and then we, um, We almost, you know, almost immediately getting right out of the plane, we started hearing the the 1,000 no's because everyone who saw us or ran into us was just like, oh, wow, so you moved back to Ecuador. What are you going to do? You clearly have a job at a multinational corporation. I'm like, no, I'm I'm here to set up a social business. And everyone said, that's impossible. Everyone said, you know, give up now. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your savings. Don't try. That's probably when I felt the loneliest because at that point I had really turned my back on a very successful career, uh, turned my back on my prior identity as this global human rights lawyer to do this. And And everyone around me was saying that it's a bad idea and that it shouldn't happen. So that loneliness, you know, drove me to try to find someone else that understood me. And that's when I met Daniela, my, my business partner and co-founder, because she said, I feel lonely too. Let's be lonely together, basically. <laughs> um, and that, to make the short, long story short, we actually decided, okay, well, you know, it, clearly loneliness is a problem here. Loneliness among people who want to make the world a better place or want to be change makers or who want to start a business. Let's Let's see how much of a problem is it. And then we had like what we call like, uh, you know, our session of 100 coffees. So we started finding people that we admire and invited them to have a coffee with us. And the same story came, came up over and over again, loneliness, frustration, lack of community. And I think that maybe by coffee number 10, I had already made that switch from thinking that i could come in barge into my home country that i hadn't seen for a decade and 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 start a business on my own and then i realized that this is a team sport i realized that my original idea of started setting up um you know a low-income housing business you know just paled compared to this large challenge that we had in front of us which is that there was no community and no community builders here trying, taking on the the task of setting up that solution to the deep loneliness that people felt. So yeah, I think that's that's when Lone Wolf became community builder. I love it. That's brilliant. When
1: you came back home, you wanted to start a social business. Had you decided already what that business was going to be? Or did you come in... Just wanting to listen and and see where you might fit in.
0: Well, I knew that I wanted to work in this in the sustainable and low income housing space. It, you know, my grandfather has always worked in that area, uh, you know, probably with a very different hat on, but but always uh, you know just so concerned for his clients, for the people that end up purchasing the homes, and understanding the the, the effect, the impact that that had. Uh, you know, growing up, I remember. You know being in his house he he never had an office in with his low-income housing business he never had an office so he would he it, w- it was a really important for him to receive the buyers in his living room and give them a little like cocktail or something and celebrate the purchase of their own ha- first house and the symbol of him being so proud of giving a family their keys to their first home you know people who 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 probably were at first generation homeowners you know, it was, it was important to me and I, it it meant a lot to me to come back and try that, try my hand at that business. Um, so, so it was not an easy step to kind of be humble and understand that, that, that there was a broader project, you know, a broader problem that, that needed tackling and to abandon my own personal, um, plans. Um, yeah, it it was, uh, it was important, but, uh, but I I just had to. (laughs) The other, you know, those hundred coffees really got to me. So I was just like, oh, we need need to do something about this. I love that story. And something else you touched on earlier
1: was, and I think this is very common for for so many purpose-driven people, is we have this identity of a career which we own full-heartedly. And then you stepped out of that career and you stepped out of the continent of Europe where you were working at the time to come back home. And you really had to dial it back to assume that you didn't know what the answer was going to be and have those conversations. Looking back, it sounds like that was no problem. But (laughs) Do you remember at the time what some of those, the self-doubt sounded like, or what were the thoughts that you were battling with at the time as you were going through that transition process?
0: Yeah. I mean now I would call them I have a name for the for those voices that were in my head. I call them these saboteurs, right? These uh these voices that were very judgy, you know. You basically I had the voices in my head thinking, Oh wow, all our friends in Geneva are going to think you're a failure, you know? That you went back home and tried something and it didn't work and but you've already sold everything, you burnt all the boats, you know, and all the bridges and you're you're, you know where are you? So I think that uh, that those voices were were unkind. Um, I think that um, finding strength in this new path was what was most important, um, but also what was most difficult. I think that that you know this podcast is is, is has probably a very particular audience, an audience of, of, of colleagues that are working in the community building ecosystem building space. And I think that what was most like what was hardest about making that pivot at that point was that what I was about to do had no name. What I I was about to embark on had no tangible, you know, tangible outcome, because at that time, I didn't even think this was going to be a co-working space we were like just launching at ourselves at solving loneliness like what what kind of business do you build upon that you know so so i think it was a bit you know it was a bit uh you know reckless i don't know if i could do it again but uh, you know with with such deep faith that something would come through but that's what, what made it hard i think that community builders now probably should feel more at ease that there is a word for and a terminology for what what it is that we're doing and and a path and and best practices and colleagues. At that time, it was nothing. It was just like, oh, you know, I'm working in this space, but I can't really put a name to it. Um, That was hard. I bet. I know you started out wanting to
1: fight loneliness. You started out with one location for Impacto and now you've grown it to four or five locations?
0: Yes, we, we are, we've grown it to five locations, but, but now Impacto, and I think that since we last spoke, I, I could probably tell you that now Impacto is, is no longer uh, considered a co-working space. So we, we don't actually consider it just a co-working space mm-hmm. because co-working is only one of, of the four business units that we occupy. And so we are a business and that's probably like a rarity in most community builders, you know, it's uh, usually community builders have some sort of public funding or or philanthropic or support or grants, but we actually, you know, we actually, we operate with whatever we can get from revenue. So that's important to us. But anyway, we have four business units. One of them is co-working. We have five, five co-working spaces and that's where community becomes tangible. That's where we solve loneliness, loneliness really requires that, uh, that that feeling but then beyond just giving people a place to be we understood the responsibility we had when we were telling people it's okay Come into the our co-working space. You'll find community. You can do this, and then people would sit down on our first day, open their computers, and be like, "What do you mean I can do this? I have no clue of how to do this." <laughs> um, so that's how that's how we started Impacto Labs. Uh, Impacto Labs became you know this business unit dedicated to entrepreneurship education. Mm-hmm. So we've run like um, idea hackathons, and we've done uh, incubators, and now we're focused on on acceleration of of businesses that have social and environmental impact. Impact. And during the pandemic, this is actually the business unit that grew the most because unfortunately a lot of our colleagues didn't make us with the pandemic, at, you know, at the regional level. So, so, you know, with for the few that are still standing, we are serving entrepreneurs from about 17 different countries right now. And that's a lot to say uh, now that the pandemic, you know, has enabled this, this virtuality to, to take place. Uh, then we have Impacto Consulting, which is actually, um, you know, our excuse to solve another one of the big problems that that entrepreneurs have and in Latin America you will see that there's very little social mobility so if you're born into a household of I don't know cobblers you will very it's very difficult that if you decide to start a, set up a startup around i don't know healthy nutrition that you would actually know anyone in i don't know Nestle you know just this multinational corporation you would probably not have a way to even occupy the same space or even like sector or neighborhood in the in the city much less actually talk to someone who can help you who can mentor you um, so we set up impactor consulting uh, as a way to offer services to to large corporations and multinationals and uh, UN agencies and large NGOs that are asking us to connect them better to the right entrepreneurs to help them solve social environmental problems. Uh, you know, and of course, the flip side of that is that we actually get to connect them to, to the people that that are looking for them. So. That business unit is one of the ones that uh, that we, we love the most. And it's it's always fun because, it, you know, the projects there take different shapes. Uh, and then the last one, which was born this year, is Impacto Capital. We we are raising an impact investment fund. So we're doing this transition from, from being entrepreneurs to becoming investors. And we decided to, that this was the right time to set it up. We are uh, what I call an ecosystemic fund. Uh, we're not here. I mean, of course... You know, it has to be a profitable fund to attract investors, but we're not here just for that. We're here to bridge the gap between the levels and amounts of growth that we have in our current pipeline here, and the the amounts and levels of, of, um, of revenue that international uh, investors are looking for. And, and I have no doubt that we'll, we'll make it happen uh, right now. We're 70% there uh, and we're hoping to have our first close of fundraising by March and start investing very soon. Unbelievable. Why am I not surprised that
1: every <laughs> time I talk to you, there is a new business unit or a new way of supporting entrepreneurs in your community? That is amazing
0: we love this we're building this model as we go you know it's it's a lot of work and uh we, we couldn't do it if, if it wasn't because we have incredible people in our team that really believe in this integral way of, of working that we have with impacto
1: hey friends while i have you here i wanted to extend a little invitation join me over on socialventures.com my professional home and place of sanity to catch up on the hundreds of conversations i've had with ecosystem builders over the years You can find out what I'm researching, which events I'm excited about, and how you can work with me. Grab my starter kit for ecosystem builders and join my upcoming masterclass, Ecosystem Building 101, at the end of February 2022. And now, back to the show. Just to recap, you went from uh, wanting to fight loneliness to creating this very holistic ecosystem support organization with different services. What was the hardest lesson you learned along the way?
0: Hmm. I think that's the hardest, but probably the most important lesson as an ecosystem builder has been that, you know, it's very easy to, to confuse the idea of collaboration with the idea of being open arms all the time. Um, So, because, you know, if if you think of, you know, of a team of people that are there to build a community, you're supposed to always be with open arms, right? So everyone that comes at you, you just have to hug them back. (laughs) Um, And I think that like one of the hardest lessons for us was that we kept being arms open. And sometimes, you know, the 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 counterparts, you know, the other side of, of 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 a collaboration wouldn't come through, or wouldn't respect our time, or wouldn't be serious about, you know, the collaboration that we were coming through, and and you know, that is heartbreak after heartbreak because you when we would embark upon a collaboration that really did not turn out, then we would be broken hearted because it didn't work out, but because we've Already used up that precious time that we could have used to support other endeavors so so the lesson reads something like you know the the path to success is made out of difficult conversations. <laughs> So we had to learn to have those difficult conversations up front and, and um, instead of just kind of like paving it and just kind of like, a, you know, patching it up and be like, oh, everything's going to be fine. We, we're actually, the, the you know, it's almost abrasive the way we start out a collaboration is like, okay, this is where we want to get to. Where is it that we're going to fall and how do we mitigate that? Like, let's start with that. Because we have very little time, we have big plans. We we really want to get this ecosystem to the next level, and that means we have no time to lose. Um, and and that's hard, <laughs> because that's not what you expect to hear from, you know, a very branded community building organization. <laughs> no, um, absolutely. You know, but uh, but I think that that's that's that. It's it's counterintuitive, but that's that's the most important lesson we have to learn. And to do it graciously, right? To say no graciously. Wow, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's when you said heartbreak,
1: I knew exactly because I've been in those situations where yes. you're out front, you're generous, you're kind, you assume the best of intentions, but that's not always reciprocated. Can you tell how that has changed you going through one heartbreak, two heartbreaks, five of those? Mm-hmm. has it changed you as a person as a professional as an ecosystem builder or are you able to process through it and then just keep charging ahead the mm-hmm. way you did before
0: That's a very good question um I would say that the first few heartbreaks I took it personally of course it was just mm-hmm. like why is this person like this against me yeah. you know and like it's very easy to to get into that narrative of like you know I'm perfect everyone else is you know is it, you know, screwing up their their own lives, type of thing. But, but I think that after a little bit, I think there was something to be said about having patience with a community, right? So, so I have a really good colleague in Chile that that talks about ecosystem, basic what, what, about what an ecosystem is, and he says that um, that it's a system that you add the eco to it, you know, and you add eco, you're talking about something organic. Right. It's, it's not like a plastic bucket. It, an ecosystem is, is like a wild land. So if you go and ask a wild plant to give you flowers when it's not its time, then you don't hate it. You don't take it personal. You understand that that plant is also in the process. So I think that that's, that probably, you know, if you start like going, moving away from that heartbreak narrative into, a narrative where you understand that an ecosystem is constantly changing, you know like that has led us to to consider working again with someone who might have given us a heartbreak before, but they also have their own processes, they also learn, they also understand so so that's how you give everyone two, three chances, as many as you need to really understand where that you know that we're not always the same people when we meet in different points in time that might be
1: the most. Insightful analogy I've ever heard about ecosystem building. That it's like a plan. <laughs> oh, thank you. That is well, so that's great. A lot
0: coming from you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you. That was, that was so powerful. I, I love that. Thank you so much. Michelle, as you're looking back from when you started out to where you are now, how has your ecosystem shifted since you began those efforts? Are there notable differences in how people and especially entrepreneurs and small business owners show up? build companies, grow companies, is there a difference that you can tell
0: from eight years ago to today? Hmm. I mean, some things never change, (laughs) Um, but I think that some things have changed. I, I would say that, first of all, we're really excited to know that there's new players all the time and that's that's always good you know as an ecosystem builder you never want to be the strongest one or the one holding space for everyone you know uh and, and understanding that there's new players new co-working spaces opening uh, new like new uh, entrepreneurship education initiatives it's fantastic because that means that we can collectively serve more people and 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 maybe come out with better outcomes so that's that's great that that has changed i think the the way people show up I love that that entrepreneurs are adopting more and more languages that we had to introduce. And so for you know when we first started Impact entrepreneurship was non-existent. Social entrepreneurship was an aberration. It was very misunderstood. People either understood it as social, as social media <laughs> or oh. as, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, translation to Spanish, right? So, or as uh, a socialist or like, I mean, like, you know, it's a different context. Uh, so social entrepreneurship as a concept just was not popular. Um, and And now... We see more and more people actually adopting the language to describe themselves, you know, just stepping in stronger. You know, we see a lot of female founders just, you know, kind of like standing a little taller and just being like, yeah, this is a thing and and I'm going to do it my way. And I think that that comes with with a lot of work around different initiatives that allow people to, to have their local heroes, uh, to connect with them, uh, to, to support each other. Um, and I think that that's, you know, like the, the language we use tends to be a really good indicator of whether we're moving the needle uh, community-wise, you know, around, around how people show up and, and understand where is it that they're going. Language is powerful.
1: Language is so powerful. It is something you said to me very early on in our relationship. You said, Annika, the internet is not in Spanish. And I was like, oh, oh, of course. (laughs) I always assume, not being a native speaker, I always assume everybody speaks English. Who cares? And you actually drew my attention to the fact that that is a very U.S.-centric way of looking out into the world. Mm -hmm. And just how much good we can do by being more inclusive, by keeping those language needs in mind. Because obviously there are other continents where English is not the primary language and where we're not providing the access that we need to be providing for entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've discussed this a lot because there's so much about... um, Ecosystem building that that we would love to share with with Latin America. We did do a a, a little pilot, uh, a four session pilot this last year, and and the results were fantastic. But I think that people are hungry for more, and it's so unfortunate that so much of the content is in English, and and in a continent like like Latin America, that is by default exclusionary. It excludes people of color. It excludes indigenous people. It excludes a lot of women. Excludes. It really excludes anyone who doesn't have enough money to afford a device to translate. So, um, yes, yes, I, we've we've thought about hard, like long and hard, and maybe next the next podcast we'll have a, a fifth business unit. But we've thought long <laughs> and hard about what is our role here for for our colleagues around. The region, you know, in in a way, we're very deeply rooted in one country, Ecuador, with our tangible co working spaces. But on the other hand, we are doing very regional work, 17 countries, uh, with Impacto Labs and consulting as well. We have international clients. So, so we're always thinking, OK, what is our, our responsibility to create this bridge, to, to be the, this, you know, this connection between all the amazing work that is being done in English around ecosystem building and all the people that, that are hungry for for, for supporting that. Uh, and maybe that is the way we scale. We, we just open source it in Spanish.
1: Who knows? I am so glad that all the entrepreneurs in Latin America have Michelle Aravallo Carpenter to stand up and give them a voice and Think of things like translation. That is wonderful.
0: <laughs> always, always.
1: Michelle, what are your hopes for the future? Where do you see Impacto and your community headed, the, the field of ecosystem building? It doesn't have to be realistic.
0: Impacto would, will, you know, in the future, in, that, in, in the, this greater vision, will have found a way to make sure that every solitary impact entrepreneur in Latin America finds its community. And it doesn't have to be through Impacto. We could find different ways of scaling the model or scaling the the support, but Impacto will be in a way one of those triggers, one of those catalysts into communities uh, coming together and, and happening. I also see Impacto becoming this, you know, this this lab of of community building, finding always different revenue-based models to support ecosystems, and and ultimately, I think it's. You know the dream is that if we support at this early stage the next generation of businessmen and women, and they kind of come to come of age or grow up as a company, you know, with with impact deeply in mind, then we will actually be observing a very different private sector in Latin America in the future and and that would make me incredibly proud to see that the private sector is no longer this you know thought of as this evil uh climate changing you know social injustice doer but but quite the opposite um and i think that that's the big vision i think it's realistic i don't know <laughs> yeah wonderful more more power to you
1: i hope we can we can usher in this future sooner rather than later i do want to change pace a little bit because absolutely As much as you're doing professionally, which I know bleeds into the private life all the time, Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: also know that you are a dog mom and a mom to two lovely twins. Yes. How in the world do you keep showing up for Impacto for entrepreneurs, for your ecosystem, but also for your family? What are you doing to keep showing up and giving your best and not burning out in the process?
0: I think that's a really good question. I think that's actually come back to me more and more this year. I think that part of it is just my personality type. We, I, the you know, our, our whole team did this mapping of personality types recently, and uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I, just the way I am. I am, I am driven. Like I am, you know, what moves me is getting things done. So you know, just. Uh, just burning out probably would be like very counterintuitive <laughs> to, to the way I am. But but also just having balance, you know, doing my exercise, learning how to set boundaries is really important. Like after I became a mom, I had to I had to learn how to say no a lot more often. Because it's personal, you know, and and making myself more scarce to people like to walk-ins, which is difficult. Balancing out with you know an ecosystem-building mentality, you want to meet everyone who's walking in, but that has also been balanced by by having a fantastic team. We will be taking on more work in the next couple of years around well-being. We want to do more and more work around founder well-being in particular, because the not it's it's not spoken about enough, You just the, the level of pressure and the level of saboteurs and those evil voices that are in the back of your head when you are starting out and placing all your bets in this one incredible project, it's taxing uh, in terms of, of mental health. And we want to make sure that mental health is spoken about often and openly um, in our community. So that's, I guess, a long way to say that we do have new horizons to pursue, new ways to become better. But that's what a community is, right? Like we said, it's like a plant, you know, and and the well-being flower, um, we're hoping to to make it grow in the next few years, for sure. I'm so impressed and I'm so thrilled to know that you are out there doing all this
1: amazing work. Thank you so much. Have you. you ever come, have you ever hit a wall where you felt like your flame was, had gone out? Or you didn't hmm. have the energy to continue. Has there ever hmm. been a time, or do you just continuously thrive and grow and get better? <laughs> no,
0: we always hit walls. We hit walls every day. I think that it's um, my, my business partners, uh, Dani and Caro. Car- Carolina is incredible. She's um, she's the head of co-working. Um, Danny's head of labs and consulting and and uh, and Justin, Justin is incredible as well. Justin is the managing partner of our of our investment fund. I think that having a very open relationship with with all three of them and just being able to just call them and say, "Hey guys, like I don't know where to go from here." <laughs> you know? I think that that has helped me a lot, you know, just getting rid of the idea of that, you know, the boss always has the solution, actually being vulnerable enough to just constantly be Looking for help, for mentors, for for support. That's how I deal with it. And I I can't think tell you that there's one time I think I hit walls monthly. You know? yeah. Um But whenever that happens, I you know I have my Rolodex and I make time to 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 talk to people, to call a friend and cry it out, and just them you know reminding me that I can do this. Um, I think that all those things are 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 important, and and managing them proactively is really really important. And
1: I think that requires a certain level of understanding that you yourself, as servant as you are, but you are the asset. So if you're not functioning well, it will have a ripple effect into your organization, into your ecosystem. So um, I'm glad you learned that lesson early and hopefully not uh, in too harsh a way of learning that lesson and embracing it. One of my last questions is what does professional development look like for someone who's already achieved so much and already has a good sense for creating balance in her life and supporting her ecosystem. Where do you invest or where have you made investments in the past that have really propelled you forward and helped you build out your skills, your mindset, your resilience?
0: Mm Hmm. Oof. Uh, Where to start. I think that, uh, you know, um, I was part of the um, Global Good Fund. I was a Global Good Fund fellow, which is this incredible organization. You should all look it up. And it supports, uh, you know, social entrepreneurship leaders. And and it's the weirdest thing because they say, okay, we're going to give you a grant, but you're not allowed to spend it on your your organization. And that just blew my mind because in my world... You do everything. You're like fundraising constantly. And whatever comes in is just like, okay, yeah, you know, we have this extra little bit, let's put it like, let's put a fresh coat of paint and then extra a little bit. Let's train someone else and extra little bit, let's hire a designer. you right. So I had no clue, no clue of what to do. And they said, this is for your personal improvement. <laughs> so yes. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was really hard for me to realize that, that I did not know how to spend it Uh, Not because I thought that I knew everything. I just, all of a sudden, that whole world opened up in front of me and I didn't know where to start. I could recommend very highly having a a coach, you know, a personal life coach or a business coach, uh, you know, having someone to talk to that listens to you, just to you, that makes a huge difference. You could have your husband, your friends, your your family, your business partners, but they all you know, they'll have a different relationship to you. Having that that listening ear is precious. Um, I would recommend always, always, you need to know your numbers. So a good personal finance course or a good finance course, it's so important. Um, and, and very little can be done without without that. And I know that Impacto uh, had a, a great leap forward once I start, started understanding that. And then, then I, f- I think finally like learning to manage your own workout routine. I, at least for me, I came into sports and well and health and wellness very late in life. You know, I never I I don't think I had ever run before I was 30. <laughs> uh, so, um, or gone for a run. So so that for me was was a big investment of time understanding what is it that That allows me to move and feel better and and, and to manage my health proactively. I don't know if that counts as professional development, but I can tell you that it was night and day once I started understanding what my routine looks like, because I was able to show up to work with a fresher mind every day.
1: I'm so glad you're sharing this because I think there's something in there for everybody. And to your earlier point, I don't think we talk about mental health enough, so sharing some of the resources of what works for you and what works for me and other interview guests is super important. So thank you for sharing that. Michelle, before we move on to the final three questions that I ask of all of my interview guests, I wanted to let all of our listeners know that they can connect with you at michelleac.com and on social media, you are at least on Instagram and LinkedIn. I think you're also on Facebook and I do recommend that everybody come and follow you because you have some incredibly insightful, mindful reflections that you share with people, and I always enjoy reading them, and luckily they often get translated, so I can actually uh, just grab a little bit of your brain and a little bit of your insight and see what's going on in your world. So I do recommend for all the listeners to go and find Michelle Arralo Carpenter and Impacto uh, wherever you can. Go be inspired and learn from Michelle and her team. Now, I would love to get to the final three questions that everybody gets to answer. Number one, are you ready? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yes. Ecosystem building is? Um, An everyday practice, just like yoga. (laughs) Wonderful. Number two, an ecosystem builder that everyone should know about is?
0: Well, I'm a big fan of uh, Leonardo Maldonado, my colleague from Chile. He wrote Mm -hmm. an incredible book about ecosystem building in in rural areas. So um, definitely follow him. He's, He's brilliant. All right. Wonderful. And lastly, one resource, book, podcast,
1: video that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders?
0: So I would recommend a novel. It's called The Overstory, and it's a novel about trees. And I think that uh, understanding the way trees communicate with each other, create ecosystems, um, build resilience, and and live throughout life um, is actually profoundly important to understanding how to build a a person ecosystem uh, as well. Uh, it's a strange one to, to read if, if you don't do it with that mindset but, but trust me it's fantastic wonderful that's great Michelle thank you so much for your time today this has been lovely and I can't wait to catch up with you again very soon thank you so much Annika this was a, a great conversation I, I uh, enjoyed it immensely
1: find out more about Michelle at michelleac.com and learn about Impacto at impacto.net you can also connect with Michelle on LinkedIn Instagram and Facebook and if you're inspired by Michelle's personal growth journey, check out the Global Good Fund Fellowship. Before we part ways today, I want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. As traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, I honor the Tuscarora, Shokori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbee, and Eno people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. This episode was produced by Yellow
0: House Media.